The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I am joined all the way from Poland by my good friend, someone I've known for probably 10 plus years playing Warhammer, Piotr, I'm going to absolutely bitch your last name. Don't even try. Don't even try, <laughs> Typus. He's known by Typus from the Warhammer community. He's, he's the god of Nurgle himself. Typus, how you doing? Good, good. Uh, I would like to straighten one thing up. When you say I'm god of Nurgle, that's not really, I think, fitting into my apparition, so I'll not take that one, but... Anyway, I'm good. Okay. Maybe nice not the God here. of Nurgle. Why do they call you Typus? I've, I've never actually gotten the story behind that. Uh, man, it's, it goes way back to being a cool 12-year-old that opened 5th edition, or I think it was 4th edition, or like the free and half uh, Chaos Space Marine book. And I thought, yeah, that character is cool. I need to create an alias on my forum. So yeah. All I'm right, so my 12-year-old internet handle was your mom. That one didn't stick with me over time. But I'm glad yours has. I'm I'm glad. I, I guess I'm glad yours didn't. I think it's not very professional after all. Maybe like, not. Not very fitting. There's lots of things uh, surrounding that. But that's a story for another time. Maybe Art of War After Dark. In today's episode, though, we're going to talk about Typhus. We're going to talk about the Polish team. Typhus is the captain of the Polish WTC team. And for those not of you anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Gladly. Gladly. Okay, a lot to unpack there, I'm sure. Sorry for getting those facts wrong. Typhus is a long-standing member of the Polish WTC team, former captain. And for those of you who do not know, the Polish WTC team is a monster to be reckoned with. That uh, They are reigning world champions year after year after year, uh, often in the top spots, if not competing for that first place finish. They've bested Team America multiple times. We got them once. Going to wear that one with pride. And uh, we're here to talk about what it takes to captain a team at such a high level view the game at such a high level what play styles and philosophies typists do you take when you're actually playing your games and especially with right now with respect to 10th edition being the wild west of 40k everything is all up in the air some stuff is broken some stuff is not so great how do you make sense of it especially when you consider the fact that the world team championships wtc that's in less than two months and almost a one month now and list submission is literally any day so how do you Twenty days. How do you actually get yourself together for this? So that's going to be the focus of the conversation in part one, leading up to an army that type is actually playing the Sisters of Battle, an army that are not actually doing too well. What we can tell in tenth edition, but hopefully our man, the Myth, the Legend here can make it work. Then in part two, which is of course going to be for our subscribers, which you can subscribe on aow40k.com. That's where our patrons are. You'll get access to part two of this show. And this is episode 196, so 195 other part twos that you get access to, along with our amazing Discord server, which is popping right now with 40k goodness. So if you're interested in learning how the Sisters works tactically, strategically, and just generally how to get better at Warhammer, definitely check out part two, aow40k.com. All right, Typhus, now that I've got the preamble out of the way, let's talk about you. Let's talk about how you got into Warhammer. You were kind of alluding to it, right? Your fourth edition opened up the Chaos Marine Codex, and you decided, I'm Typhus now. What else was there surrounding that story? Uh, So it was like a usual story of my friend showing me the game way back. I think 
he had like two armies with his brother, which were at that time demon hunters, which you might now know as Inquisition, Inquisition and Grey Knights. But back then it was a completely different codex. And they had like Tau and demon hunters and they showed me a game and I was like, cool, that sounds fun. I'll buy an army. And uh, I would say I'm a very competitive person at heart. So after I beaten everyone in my tight group, I decided there is like another step and I started attending tournaments. And it was like, I don't know, 2008, uh, 2007 when I started playing, like way back for me. Like I think I'm like the case of John Lennon, I would say. I, I think he started playing the same year. I remember like one podcast with him. Uh, and yeah, so it's been 15 years now. And competitively, I would say it's been 13 after I like gathered enough models to scramble an army that could represent anything on the competitive table. Yeah, nice. So talk to me about the Polish scene in 2008. I mean, Warhammer in America in 2008 was barely a fledgling thing. So like, how, how was it starting and competing in Poland? I would say we already had like a system in place. There's a reason when you look back at the WTC back then, ETC history, that Poland and Germany were at the top. It's because we had like a whole system in our nation that was meant to choose the best players. So we, what you see now as ITC, it was something we had as a national league in a way that we had three tiers of tournaments. They were like, the best tournament, so like they were called master tournaments. They would give you a lot of points to ranking. You had challenger tournaments. They would give you a little bit less, but they were like still high tier. And then you had like local tournaments, which you could have few of them in the ranking. So the system was like you could have three masters, two challengers, and six local tournaments. And because of that, you tended to actually go to a lot of tournaments around the Poland because you needed to attend those events to go up in the rankings of the Polish National League. And back then, top five from the ranking got into the national team and the remaining three were chosen by the top five. So our community was quite competitive, I would say. Uh, obviously, looking back at it, I was still, what, 13, I think, like 14, 15 years old when I actually started attending tournaments. So... Probably my recollection of it and me being quite new to this doesn't allow me to have a good summary of what's happening there. But from the very beginning, it was quite well organized and uh, quite cutthroat if you lived in Warsaw, as I did, because from what I recall, we had like five or six national team members. So if you go to like 12-man tournament and you have to play five or six, like five or six of those players are... Team members, well, it's not easy. So it, it's a good way to get better. So I'll, I'll kind of tie this into like where I was with 40K back in like 2008 and as you started competing in the World Team Championships. So I started in 2004. This is 2003. Yeah, this is my 20th year. So we're, we're getting on there. And I started competing pretty much on like the GT level scale uh, around 2008. And then I qualified for Team America all the way in 2012. So by the time I started going for Team America and, you know, getting that side of my Warhammer career going, I, you guys were already established. Poland and Germany were dominating the back then known as ETC. And it's 
it's interesting seeing the play style differences and the the approach that the teams took because back then it was like an insurmountable mountain to climb between the skill difference between team america in 2012 versus poland or germany in 2012 like you guys were so much sharper you knew the form that you had pairings down like it seemed like you guys knew what you were doing and you also played a lot tighter in america the play was very loose at the time like you just kind of like pushed your models around and saw what happened in Germany and Poland and ETC, it really opened my eyes to like, wow, these people have like a very calculated plan for just about everything. How do you develop that? Like, it's easier now with the advent of the internet and the growth of all that, and now Art of War and other things exist to help you get better and help you learn from content creators. Back then, you had to teach yourself. Like, you and your buddies would get better and play some games, and all of a sudden, you're piling in crazy and consolidating and whatnot. So, like, what is the process to learn when you can't actually be taught? I think this is quite complex question and the answer will also be quite complex. I think you need to also look at like social sociological or however you pronounce it. I'm not really great at pronunciation sometimes. Uh, aspects of it that when you look at Poland as a nation, we tend to be very hard workers, which is also represented when it comes to, for example, job market. Uh, especially in IT, we are like very sought demographic because we are we tend to be really hardworking and well the and very logical thinkers. But also when you combine that with us being a lower income country for a long time, and combining that with high entry level to the game, it also meant that only specific people could play the game. So we had a very big share of our national team being people like people from maths, computer science, lawyers. So our team and like our whole community was more around people who are on a very high end of the IQ distribution, I would say. Right. Basically, you're, you're only professionals with money were able to afford to play Warhammer back at this time. So, Or you were in a family that. that could provide that, yeah. which already was a benefit. So it was like a kickstart, and I would say... This kind, this isn't a thing anymore. Like we started being included in like Western society more as a country and nation. But back then, this was a huge factor. And uh, then without the internet, only way to get better was to play against the best. So me playing against the best players in the, in Warsaw, which are people you probably know, like Skark back then, we had like Zwi Marios, people you probably, unless you are very old in the ETC the, uh, format and you've been there years ago, you don't know those names, but they were like insanely good players back then. And you had to play against them and lose a lot by playing in your local store. And you just learned by the sheer amount of repetitions. But the thing is, when you look at the players back then who got into our national team, those were usually people who it took a little bit of time to get into the team. Like it was two or three years for a really good player to get into the team because they didn't have so much information sharing coming from all the media outlets, all the podcasts, etc. You needed to learn it by yourself. You could only learn it from playing another player. And it was also a limiting factor because nowadays you have TTS, which is Tabletop Simulator, which allows you to play against other better players around the world. And back then it wasn't a thing. So not only the information sharing was quite lackluster at the time, it was also 
very limited to the players you knew. So yeah, I, I would say it was all about repetitions. Nowadays, I think the time you need to get into the team can be like cut to one year if you really put in time because you can get exposed to the team environment, how team events work, like what you said about you going to Gorzów in 2012 and seeing how it works. Like those things you guys saw by traveling there, now you can get exposure to that by just attending some team events and stuff, which is a thing that is a main driver of our community, I would say. That's awesome. So would you say, from my understanding as an outsider, WTC and the culture surrounding qualifying for your team and practicing for team events, that drives the Polish tournament circuit and the Polish Warhammer culture. I wouldn't say that's the case for America. You know, in America, it's very singles oriented, very personal performance oriented. The team exists and there's a lot of national pride and whatnot around that, but it's not it's not the main way to think about 40K. It's not like the national team is America's 40K representation. It is. I'm, I've been doing a bad job contradicting myself, but uh, it's not viewed in such high esteem just because there's such an emphasis on individual player performance in America. Is that the case in Poland? Or is it all about qualifying for the team and then doing your best for the team? I think it is mainly about the team. Like, when I told you about the story, people you would play to get into the rankings, into higher places, to get into the team. Like It was mainly driven to get into the team, to get noticed, to show that you're good enough. And over the years, our whole community and our whole national league moved into playing only WTC format, only on WTC terrain. Like Last few years, if you look into ITC scores, I have two ITC scores. Those are... WTC and one 8v8 tournament in the Netherlands. Nearly none of our players play ITC because those given us nothing to WTC. Like those tournaments, especially if you think about those eight round tournaments, you maybe play three good games in there, or you could play for a weekend with our with your team and play eight really good games, right? So that's something that we prioritized a lot, and that's playing nearly all international team events that we can attend to. So people who haven't played international team events get exposure to it. But also within our community, we I think nearly half of our tournaments we have in Poland, except like local RTTs, are team events also. So everything is team-based. 20-0 scoring, WTC train, everything is for that one tournament a year. Anyone who's listened to this podcast or Art of War or anything I've ever been on knows I am a huge fan of Team 40K. And in my opinion, it's by far the most favorite, most fun way to consume the game. In I wish America had such a team-centric format, but in America, unfortunately, it's pretty much you just win as many tournaments as you can to make a name for yourself. Once you get a name for yourself, teams will start to recognize you and then you might get an invitation to be on or something like that. It's a little... I don't want to say backwards, but it's certainly a different way of doing things from an approach standpoint. And I think that very much leads to some of our American Team America struggles compared to like Poland, where you always seem to have like a cohesive team, or at least it seems like it, where everyone has a job, everyone knows what they're doing, and it's very, very calculated and deliberate. In America, we strive for that. Sometimes we've hit it, sometimes we've fallen short in some places. It's a struggle. But the the thing that I think has been a challenge for us leading up to this point 
as a team is that we are all singles players trying to formulate a team. You might qualify with three Eldar players on your team. Like who actually gets Eldar? Can that, can the people who don't get Eldar go switch armies players, number seven and eight, whatever picks their factions last. Like they really had to scrape the bottom of the barrel to figure out what's worth taking. And some players do that better than others. So finding the right player to get on the right job to create a cohesive team has always been a huge challenge for America. Do you think because it's been built into your culture of Warhammer that it's not an almost it solves itself for you or is that something you challenge yourself with I, I would never say it's something we do not have to challenge ourselves with it's a work in progress every year uh, we work our asses off when it comes to WTC and there's nothing to hide from it I, I would say the fact that we have it ingrained makes it easier for newer players to surface up because they would basically approach people who were on the team and ask them to play against them, to show them. And when you see, like, for international coaching services like you guys have, we have that for free in Poland because we know that our community is so small. Like, we have maybe our biggest singles event ever was 70 people. Biggest, biggest ever. And because of that, as our community is so small, we know that to stay on top, be competitive we need to share knowledge with everyone within our community make sure that everyone chimes in and everyone has their voice and because of it we also for example moved back from what i mentioned earlier like the top five getting into the team because that resulted in the same problems you mentioned with for example three inari players back in seventh and what do you do then because they cannot play anything that doesn't shoot seven times in a turn and suddenly it's an issue so, yeah, I, w- I would say we work the whole whole year. We, it's always a struggle, um, and not struggle in a negative sense. It's just a lot of work to put in. Like, every year we play, what, 10 to 12 8v8 TTS screams where we not only invite our team members that were at the previous WTC, but we also invite certain players that might be prospects, not even for this year, but maybe in like two years' time when they get enough games in and get that correct mindset, they might be a person that will get into the team in some time. That's awesome. And with WTC coming up, I'm sure you guys are all in crunch mode. I know Team America is. It's all it's coming. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, tenth tenth edition throws such a wrench into it too. With uh, you know, because there's an undefined meta. I mean, obviously everyone can open up the rules, and like players of pretty much decent caliber or higher can determine the most obviously good stuff. But beyond that, there's like all the hidden subtleties, all those nuances that takes a lot of time and a lot of reps and a lot of thinking and processing to actually get with accuracy. You don't have time. That's the one thing that we do not have in terms of WTC this year is time. So what is your process? And share as much as you're comfortable, because I know there's secretive information you're trying to keep from the other teams. Um, what is your process uh, as Poland, as former captain of Poland, whatever, for consuming 10th edition as quickly as possible and coming up with a cohesive team when everyone needs a new faction armies that like say you were going to bring tyranids maybe you're not bringing tyranids this year like what was that tyranid player going to do how do you adjust all that so quickly yeah i i think it depends on the person for me it's third time there's edition change in june slash july 
So it's not something that I'm not familiar with. We had that change between six and seven and seven and eight. Uh, birds, God birds, bless birds. 270 <laughs> Storm Ravens. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's not something that I'm unfamiliar with. I think the main thing you need to do as a team at that point is to designate tasks. It's the same thing as in normal job, I would say. At one point, one of you, which is usually captain, just becomes the manager and that gathers and processes all, all the information from all the players and players are designated tasks. And the most important thing, I think, at that point is having captain or the so-called manager being very up-to-date with everything that's happening. So watching nearly all the games, understanding not only the information they get back from players, but also when you watch over a game, say, on TTS, you can get your own insights from that game. You can understand what was happening, what might be the issue, and even what players might tell you is not the full picture because you saw more, because you have more context from watching other games. So it's it's all about getting the reps, and I think as with every year WTC preparation, it always boils down to identifying the meta, figuring out what will be good in the meta, and specifically, if there's a year like this one, so you'll have more information sh sharing than it was in, what was it, 8th edition? Like, we all knew Storm Ravens, Flocks, and Brimstones back then will be good. Same thing here. Like, we know that even earlier than then, we know like the top armies of the meta are like GSC, Necrons, Eldar. Like that's obvious to people who played a little bit and also listen to international um, media outlets. And what you need to identify is that, for example, specifically now, people will be talking about armies in context of singles when you consume all that media. And you need to be able to detach from that and translate that information for teams. Because like last year's, I was playing Drukari in our team. I've won one game. And I still was a crucial part of the team because my role was to get beaten, but scrape points against opposition. And in that sense, armies that you wouldn't hear about online might pop up as an option actually for the team because even though they wouldn't win in the win draw lose system that gw proposes in the bracket system where you can scrape away those seven eight points there might be some armies that might be very much unconventional and when you have a top dog say like eldar and if you can figure out a counter into eldar that's not another eldar and say gsc then you might be in a great position because you figured out an army from like the very, very bottom that has only one use. But if the opposing team doesn't figure it out, you get a great benefit out of it. So there is also a lot of work not to discredit a lot of the armies and look for niches because team events are not only taking top eight armies. That's why you probably also mentioned that you like team events because... A lot more armies are viable when you play teams. Armies you would never take on singles, you can play on team events and they will be good because they have their niche. As long as the team event doesn't 
force you to play windrollers because if you play windrollers, well, it boils down to taking the single armies. But when it, when it comes down to actually playing differentials, it unlocks so much more. So I love what you said there, and I couldn't agree more. And there's so much hidden value to picking something and coming up with an army that the the internet isn't looking at, right? Like everyone's looking at GC and Eldar and Necrons and Space Marines, like you said. Those are obvious and very strong. And Knights Towering, who you know, we know the drill. But then there's things like maybe my Tyranid army featuring Biovorge is really good at scoring secondary points. So maybe it's not necessarily great at winning games. Like it's still going to die to Wraith Cannons. Who doesn't die to Wraith Cannons? But it can score slightly less than Eldar in most of those games, just hypothetically. So even though everything loses to Eldar, we brought an Eldar army. Don't you worry about that. Some one of your members is going to lose to our Eldar player, but we have someone that doesn't lose badly into Eldar. So that's kind of like what you were saying with the Drakari. You Jagari, this time last year, not a strong faction, like objectively, certainly not one of the worst, but it flies around and tries to score points more than it tables you. So an army that flies around and tries to score points is really good at getting a points floor of like 70, 80 points in there. So you just can't blow it out, even if you totally destroy it. And I, I love that approach to solving the more challenging armies in the game, like Eldar, like Necrons, like GSC. So with that in mind, how do you look for those armies as like a player who plays those factions or a team manager, captain person who's trying to find roles for people? You know, it's not easy to pick up what is conventionally assumed a bad codex and be like, figure something out when you don't even know that it's there. Yeah, I, I think it's more when you go around the team and you identify like the top armies that we just mentioned, right? And you already know that those armies will, will be present. And obviously, you can build those armies so they better play against each other. But every team will know that. Like, that's obvious. Like, you can build Eldar to, I don't know, have more no-loss no shooting because you want to be, or like, more war spiders to be better into GSC and stuff like that. Like, those are conscious choices that you can make. But the thing is, as soon as you realize what are the top dogs, you then can identify what are the issues and what cannot be handled right now. And then you have like faction specialists that are playing lesser armies, like you said, Tyranids. Armies that have potential because minds are broken. For some reason, they never learn. And in those cases, you can figure out a niche solution within your team. Obviously, you want to have more better armies, but to be fair, I think there's like top five armies and there's a huge drop off at this point. Maybe there's like top six. I'm, I'm just eyeballing the number. But that causes an issue that you need to fill those bottom slots with like the remaining armies. And that's where your faction specialists, people who love scraping points away, also come in. Because that's another thing that when you said about having singles players doesn't might not translate into teams. There are roles within the team. You have players playing the top armies. They will they will score high points. Like we had our Halekin player last year, Myson playing Halekins and getting really high points. We had our Necron player. Those players were meant to score high. And you have players with mentality that they want to score high. Like they want to win. They do not like playing those hard, scrapey games where you get those points and lose by like two, three victory points. Those are not the games for them. And that's where those other players that actually love this kind of gameplay 
come in. And I, I would say it's another thing that you have players who learn the game by the armies they play, and they learn the game by getting more reps in. And also you have players who learn the game on like mechanics within the game. And if you have a player who looks at armies by pure mechanics and understands how specific mechanics work, those players will also have easier time translating that knowledge to a newer army. So those players will probably fit better to grab those sixth, seventh, eighth army within your team and figure out something for that team. I had plenty of cases like when I was chosen as one of the last people because I didn't have an army, that I was just told, here's your role, for example. I think it was back in 6th edition. You need to counter Eldar. God bless, you can choose anything, figure out the list. And that was my only role, and I took like a really weird Necron list with where I charged with Necron warriors from Ghost Arts, but that was my role, and I filled that in. That's a thing where you have players who figure this out, they can bring a lot of value to a team. But it also depends on the team, because if you have players like that, you can designate that task to them. Otherwise, you need a captain who will look for that solution themselves. So there's a beautiful segue into my next series of questions here, which is more about you as a player and stuff like that. You were kind of given the task in your example, figure out Eldar, good luck. And you came up with this janky Necron build of warriors coming out of Ghost Arcs. And I'm sure the fact that Poland and the WTC and team format in general scopes and shifts your mindset and approach the game so much. What would you describe your personal play style as and what armies do you like to play? Uh, I like playing armies that are very complex. I like playing I like playing armies where I feel I've won that game, not my army won that game, which is not a thing you can say with some of the armies in the game especially now, looking at you, Elder or Knights. Uh, and this is something which is just something that I like. I like to, f- maybe it will sound egoistical, but I want to feel superior at times, when, at, at the table, obviously. And uh, even when losing, you can still feel like that with certain armies, because you scrape away points in ways and manners that the opponent doesn't even think of. So I, I like the unconventional stuff. So like the weird Drukari we had at WTC, it wasn't my initial army because I had to swap in, but that was like my build. I played a lot of weird armies that were high skill cap, like say early ninth Halequins, which were really good army, but I would say really high skill cap army. Like average players wouldn't have that high win ratios, but if you were a great player, that army would deliver. So, yeah, I, I would say it's mostly that. But to be fair, over the years, I've played so many armies for our team. I've played hordes. I've played... I haven't played shooting. That's one... Like, SAFs, that's how we say it. Shooting as effing hell. That's that's the name. Those armies, I just cannot stand. Like, indirect fire armies, I cannot stand. It's That's not very interactive. Oh my god, I feel the same exact way. We should play a game. Uh, we haven't. I, I don't think we ever had. No. I, I don't think we had many interactions, by the way, except shit talk. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> that's barely defined our relationship for years. Uh, yeah. Uh, like l- one of the last conversations I remember was I was in Athens, I was playing your Necron player, and you walked over my table and were looking, why do we have three Slanish fiends on the table? Why did you summon them, not something else? <laughs> and like th- those are the moments where I just love 
playing the, those junky armies that people have no clue why. Why? Like, what? Why are you doing this? But yeah, I would say it's mostly stuff that I can just enjoy the gameplay and enjoy complexities of the game rule system and armies. That's why three armies I have in, on my shelf are Halakins, Drukari, and Sisters. I think those armies are more combat-centered, and I think melee used to be high-skill expression phase nowadays. Well, yeah. There, there's still stuff you can pull with melee. I will stand yeah. by that, but it is not what it used to be. Yeah. So that, that brings us actually right to the next point as well. Um, you mentioned you had a sisters list that you're very excited about. That's going to be the crux of our conversation for part two. I imagine now having had this whole conversation, your sisters list is full of janky oddball choices and unorthodox trickery. So I'm super excited to unpack it, especially because a lot of players right now are pretty down the dumps about sisters and uh, maybe don't really know what to do with them as a faction or how to make them operate. So I think your insights with your kind of unconventional approach to 40K probably could give a lot of people some room for thought. If you don't mind, why don't you walk us through what your sister's list is just top to bottom? Yeah. So there's plenty of elements when it comes to sisters. I think this army, as you said, it's not as good nowadays. It's it's rough. Uh, I won't lie, it's rough. But there are... My first list that I've been looking at lately consists of the Demonifuge squad, so Kiganiel and uh, Ephrael Stern, Lone Operative, uh, Dialogus, so the blady that gives out sixes on mm, Miracle Dice in full Melta Retributor squad, one missionary with shotgun, and when he dies, gives plus D3 uh, Miracle Dice, Palatine with Blade of St. Eleanor Enhancement, Celestine, Triumph of St. Catherine, one Emulator, then we have two squads of two-man Crusaders, one Dominion squad with four Meltagans, Simulacrum, and your choice of weapons on that Sergeant, as usual. Uh, Three Exorcists with anti-tank weapons, so the Exorcist Missile Launcher and Hunter-Killer Missile, and three squads of Seraphim, with two with Maltas, one with Flamers, five-man squads. And to add to that is Kanis Rex, which I think is right now one of the best units in the game overall. So if you're playing Imperium, usually if that model is free, so you're not playing in a team setting, you might need consider, you might consider fielding that guy. So you mentioned uh, Kanis Rex, of course. What do you think about if they nerf towering or points go up, I don't know what they're going to do or if they're going to do anything about it, but is this work, is this built around him? Do you think you need him to kind of operate? No, he is the only reliable close combat unit I could field in sisters. Interesting. So, okay. <laughs> Not the answer so, I expected, but it is where we uh, are. So obviously sisters have access to like repentia squads, etc. but those units tend to if die and their damage output, just drops significantly if some of them die from, like, say, Overwatch. So uh, his main use was actually to be, like, unit that can stand on an objective and survive and push away a, say, squad of 10 possessed from an objective and actually do that, uh, whilst nothing else in the army could. So if if I couldn't feel them, I would go with another Retributor squad with Dialogus, although Malta's got worse, but there's nothing really that this army has access to other than uh, Maltas when it comes to anti-tank. 
And other than that, I would add like one Penitent Engine so you can advance and do actions with flamers because you have a assault weapon. One Kalidus Assassin and probably one small squad of like Zephyrim can be also Repentia squad. So one small squad that can maybe try to push an objective, but maybe is the main part of the sentence because Sister's Melee is not great. You're giving away all the trade secrets. So this is actually what we're going to talk about in part two of our episode. So for patrons, you can join us on AOW40K.com and get access to that beautiful part two. In that, Typhus and I are going to break down the sister's list and explain what tricks, tips, and tactics he uses to bring it to bear upon the opponent. And of course, like with respect to the meta, like how we can adjust things or like what we'd like to see from it uh, and generally what we think is good in this game. So if you're interested in continuing us on that conversation or just supporting, you know, we love the support and we do episodes every single week. So even if sifters aren't necessarily your cup of tea, we're going to go through all the factions and uh, we're going to get back to our more regular formats as tournaments start uh, popping up over here. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. Typhus, thank you so much for coming on. It's been absolutely thank pleasure you. chatting WTC with you. Uh, I'm eager to hear about the sisters list. Catch us over in part two. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll catch you later. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.